This is the Yoga 360 Podcast, bringing you knowledge, inspiration, and resources to help you better connect with our community and live your best life. Featuring real stories from real people having fun conversations from the heart. If you enjoy the benefits of yoga, value your health and well-being, and enjoy connecting with others, you are in the right place. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Yoga 360 Podcast. Tonight is Episode 5. I am Steve Cotton. And I'm Karen Amy. Tonight, we're really excited to have our first guest in studio here, Kim Griefhorst, one of the instructors here at Yoga 360. Yeah, so Kim is actually one of the newer teachers at our studio. We're super excited to have her in because she brings a lot of fresh knowledge to the studio, and we've loved having her here. So hello, Kim. (laughs) Hi. Thanks for having me. Yeah, welcome, Kim. Thanks for coming. Uh, It might sound a little different today because Karen and I are are, are both sharing one microphone at one end of the table here, so we're bouncing back and forth. Because COVID. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, because COVID and Candace hasn't bought us another microphone yet. So. Yes. <laughs> Have to throw you under the bus, Candace. Uh, okay, I'm just going to start by reading uh, Kim's bio off of uh, the Yoga360 website here. So yoga has been a part of Kim's life for over 18 years. The practice has helped her grow stronger and more grounded both on and off the mat. Kim has trained in a variety of traditions and brings that education to every class she teaches. She continues to be a student of yoga with ongoing studies in yoga anatomy and fascia. Kim's classes include playful and challenging sequences that are suitable for all levels of practitioners. She intends for all students to leave her classes feeling balanced and refreshed, ready to carry a sense of well-being off the mat. Kim teaches pyropilates, vinyasa, and yin. So 18 years, Kim. Uh, Yeah, actually it's been over 18 years now. I still remember my first class very vividly. Okay. You want to tell us about that? I would love to. So my first class was in the fall of 2001, and I was going through kind of a difficult period at that time. I was freshly divorced and was, had just started going back to school full-time at the age of 28. So I was obviously in a bit of a weird headspace at that time, and a friend of mine, co-worker, said, Kim, I just did this hot yoga. You have to come try. And this was at the original Bikram studio in Vancouver. I remember they were on the second floor on a studio, uh, in a studio on Broadway. And it just, it was the best thing that had ever happened to me. My legs were like jelly <laughs> as I tried to make my way down the stairs afterwards. And I knew, I just knew I had found my thing. I had found it. Well, right away you came to that realization. Right away, yeah. Yeah, it was great. So Stephen and I talked in a previous episode that we recorded about how both he and I came to yoga because we had loves in other sports and wanted to bring um, some balance to that. Yeah, we were, uh, we were using yoga as a tool to help uh, ourselves in our, our regular daily lives and our regular activities. And really more physically. So it sounds like you more came to yoga mentally, like your, your mind, your body, your uh, soul needed it, really. Yeah, I think so. Um, it was more, I, I, I was not very athletic. <laughs> I did not play sports. Um, I did not care for exercise very much, frankly, um, <laughs> at that time. I'm going to bring that up in your next pyro class, yes. just so you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so no, it was just, it was something that struck me as just this kind of mental focus that I didn't have from anything else. And it just from, as I said, from day one, I was like, that's my jam. This is the thing. I think we've heard from students before, they compare their practice to a life raft. Would you say that's sort of true for you as well? 
Absolutely. Um, you know, it's funny. <laughs> I'm a fairly um, intense person even now, but if you'd have known yeah. me then. <laughs> oh, boy. Right? I'm a little concerned. <laughs> right? I'm a little concerned. I'm a little scared. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So if you can imagine, uh, even more intense than this. So, yeah, the, the yoga practice certainly, uh, uh, it's not just words in my bio. It, it, it is really true. Um, the practice really just helped me become more centered and grounded. Even though the, the Bikram style in particular is more of a physical practice, there's less of, you know, there's not really any, you know, silent meditation or chanting or anything like that. But really it's that, that moving meditation that just helped me find that center, that kind of, that point of focus or, you know, the, the comparison that you just made about a life raft is certainly apt. Yes. Okay, excellent. Um, where and when did you do your teacher training and what can you tell us about that for anyone who's interested? Oh my goodness. So many, so many trainings. <laughs> um, so maybe the question then is what, um, what inspired you to take your first teacher training? Oh, yeah. okay. So, um, while my first practice was the Bikram practice and that was kind of uniquely what I did for about seven or eight years, um, the studio that I was practicing at at that point, um, started introducing flow and I was like, Whoa, <laughs> like, again, it was like that second kind of thunderbolt. I was like, Oh, this is different. Also good. Um, loved it. And, um, at the time this was, this would have been like 2008 or something like that. Um, trainings were really hard to come by on a part-time basis. Um, and so really that was kind of what brought me to my very first, my 200 hour foundation training. The one that I took was at Semper Viva because at the time it was the only one that was part-time. You could do it evenings and weekends. I had a full-time job, so that worked great for me. It was actually, I didn't choose it just for that reason. Semper Viva was also um, a studio that I practiced at and the owner at that time, um, Gloria, was someone that I really looked up to. So uh, I was really excited to take a training with her. But I also still really loved the hot yoga. So as soon as I was done my 200-hour foundation, literally the next month, um, I did an 80-hour hot yoga training with hot yoga. <laughs> wow, right, right after the bat. Right huh? after. This tracks with Kim's personality yes, for does. everyone yeah. <laughs> listening. Yeah, yeah, yeah it kind of makes sense. Not yeah. surprised. I'm a little bit of a type A personality. Um, yeah, so I immediately went off and did um, another one because I was like, well, all, all the yogas. Let's do all the yogas. Um, and then I kind of, then from there, just kind of um, did a lot of like, I love doing, you know, workshops and retreats. And so when I could, I started doing that kind of thing. Um, but then I had to kind of put it a bit on, on the side. Once my daughter was born, I actually didn't teach yoga for about uh, five or six years and didn't take any trainings during that time either. Um, but once she got old enough to be kind of independent. I started getting back into into doing all of those things, got back into teaching here. Um, that was about two and a bit years ago. And right back on the, the trainings, one after the other. Um, <laughs> I remember taking, I think it was your first class teaching here, but it was definitely the first class that I had with you. Yes. Right. And I'm like, who is this chick? <laughs> And I bowled you, I bowled you over, I'm sure, with my amazing practice. I'm not sure. Um, I don't actually, I remember my first class was a Wednesday night vinyasa, but I'm not, I don't remember anything more about it than that. Um, yeah. But I, as I say, a perpetual student, I'm actually taking two courses right now mm -hmm. at the same time because one is not enough. 
Yeah, what are those courses? Uh, so right now I'm doing um, a functional anatomy with Tiffany Cruikshank, who is uh, the leader of Yoga Medicine, which is where I'm doing my 500-hour yoga certification. It's all online now, which is great. Um, so I'm doing a functional anatomy with her, and that's really just kind of a, it's deeper into the fascia and things like that, which those who know me know that that's kind of my obsession. Yeah, that, uh, that's a big part of your practice and your teaching Absolutely. Is, is, is the fascia and the myofascial release. Yeah. Uh, and then the other uh, course that I'm taking at the same time is the nervous system and restorative yoga. Yeah. And then just previous to that, right before I did spa yoga, which is like um, uh, kind of a, a mellow hatha with no warriors, no balancing, no chaturangas kind of thing. So it's like the warm up of a vinyasa class is how I've described it to people. <laughs> So hatha is a word that we don't use at our studio mm. very often. So just for some of the people listening that don't know, can you sort of elaborate on what hatha is? <laughs> so you can think of hatha. Hatha is kind of the base for all for all yogas. So all yogas derive, they're all some form of hatha yoga. Hatha just means postures, movement with breath, basically, right? And so what that form takes is going to vary with each style of yoga, but it all kind of finds its roots in Hatha. So you picture kind of like a family tree. Hatha's at the top. Yeah. <laughs> Almost the granddaddy. Yeah. And then everything kind of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you can think of it that way. So uh, when I say Hatha, I just mean um, you can think about, you know, uh, in a flow class, the, the types of things that we do to warm up and cool down. Spa yoga is just those things <laughs> with no big stuff in between. Just that for the whole time. Um, while my practice for a long time was a very active practice, I found I've had so many injuries in this last year or two that I'm, um, I'm taking my practice a lot more slowly, a lot more mellow now. And so that's kind of where my interest is lying as far as the courses that I'm taking now. So hence spa yoga and restorative. Okay, cool. Um, what are your favorite poses and sequences to teach? Oh, a great <laughs> question. Um, I can tell you what one of my favorite sequences that you teach is. Oh, I know what that is. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> so I love teaching moon salutations. Bingo. Me yes. too. <laughs> um, and moon salutations simply being, there's kind of a couple of set sequences that are kind of more popular uh, called moon salutations, but really it's just kind of where you move back and forth on the mat. So you're kind of going in a circle, hence moon. Mm-hmm. I really enjoy those. I do like what I'm finding recently that I enjoy is kind of a little bit more repetition. So where you're kind of like building up in ladders, um, I'm finding that I'm finding that useful. And could you explain that building up in ladders? Yeah. So um, the first round might be one or two poses, and then the next, you know, and then we do a vinyasa or not, and then the next round will have an additional pose or two stacked on. And yeah. Then the so next round, so building what's been established in that in, in that first rung yeah. of the ladder. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So adding on, adding on, adding on, adding on, making the sequence longer and longer and longer, and then you're building up, ideally, to some peak pose at the end of that. Um, I'm finding those really fun because I think you can get a little bit deeper, right? Like once you come into a shape for the fifth, sixth, seventh time, you're like, okay, here we are again. But, you know, it's like your body knows now, and it can just it can just kind of float into it and get deeper and... Yeah. used a word we we practiced Kim taught a uh, class that Stephen and I both took tonight and she used a really good word that, to tell us about uh, your body's knowledge of where it is oh proprioception yes, yes. <laughs> yeah and so that's something that um, these ladder flows can help with as well right so it's like by the end it's like your body's almost moving like almost without thinking like it just lands it just lands it just lands 
And so I think you can get deeper into the body with these ladder flows. So I'm finding that's kind of one of my favorite things to do right now, too. Okay. Yeah. Uh, What are some of your least favorite sequences to teach? Oh, geez. I don't know if I want to... I don't know if I can say I have a least favorite. Yeah, I don't know. You can have a reason it's your least favorite. So maybe (laughs) something that um, you don't like. When I answered that question, it was because I didn't love it in my body. Some teachers have said, I don't like teaching this because I worry about the students in this posture. So anything. Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, Well, what I have done is I I don't, um, I rarely teach headstand or shoulder stand anymore. Very rarely. I'm really careful when I do teach it that I know the students in the class and I give lots and lots and lots, lots of warning to please, please not get into this pose unless you are 110% sure you have no injuries um, and that you feel confident that you can do so safely. So yeah, I mean, if I had to kind of pick something that I, I kind of stay away from, I would say that just because I think a lot of people, um, a lot of people push too hard in those poses and put too much pressure in the neck and so I just, I really feel uncomfortable teaching that unless I know the students in the room and I know that they can do it safely. Yeah. I've heard an explanation. Uh, this is a common theme I've heard from teachers mm-hmm. that we don't love teaching headstands, handstands, et cetera. And how I heard it put is that um, there are so many risks and drawbacks and not enough benefits. Yeah. And all those benefits you can get in safer ways. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah I think there's <laughs> lots of ways you could, you know, you can come into other inversions. You can take the legs up the wall. You know, you don't have to be on. I mean, you're not supposed to be on the neck anyway, but if you're doing it incorrectly, that's where you land. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, there are some studios, some public studios that don't that don't allow their teachers to teach those poses anymore. And so for me, I just, I'm very careful. I just try to, yeah, just make sure that I, I'm comfortable with that the students I have in class are, are going to be able to get in there safely. Yeah, and I can speak a little bit to that for our studio. Candace hasn't asked us to not teach those things, but she is very... Um, intentional and sort of just gives the advice that Kim follows that if you're going to teach something you know the people in the room really well and you know the posture really well in your own body so if it's not something that is in your consistent practice and there are risks like that to it it's just not something you're going to be teaching at this moment and that's okay yeah and I think that's true for any pose right like if you I don't teach anything that doesn't that, that I can't get into in my body safely um, That's a really good point. Yeah. I just think, and I think all teachers should follow that, right? Do as I say <laughs> and not as I do. So that kind of brings us to one of the other questions. Yes. I think it's further down the list. <clears throat> do you practice what you preach? <laughs> <laughs> I usually like to end with that question. but uh, It was too perfect. But we're at a, 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 a modified interview today anyway, yeah. so we're just kind of rapid firing questions yes. at Kim at this point. So, um, Yeah, no, not always. <laughs> uh, we, we, we've joked do about tell this. explain <laughs> yes. um yeah I'm really good at telling people to take it easy when they have injuries um to modify to you know don't you don't have to push full force all the time take it easy skip some poses take a child's pose until recently, um, I was really bad at taking my own advice on that. Um, I think everybody is really guilty yeah. at that. I think that's true with most people who are instructors. I mean, it's it's easy to tell other people to do things. Mm-hmm. Well, you have three instructors right now. I'm a martial arts instructor. I'm not a yoga instructor, but absolutely. We're, yeah. well, we are our own worst enemies. Uh, and, it, you know, it's funny. And this doesn't, doesn't just apply to, you know, yoga teachers or whatever. I mean, I was a financial planner in my previous life and... 
I mean, in my early years of being a financial planner, I was not very good with my own money. So um, I was great at giving advice. Was I great at following it? Not as much. Um, I've gotten better at that, though. I think as a, as a yoga instructor recently, I really am trying to listen to my body more. Um, as I said, I've been dealing with some some kind of chronic injuries. They're not like really bad injuries, but just not quite healing well. So I've I'm trying to finally take my own advice. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, we experience that as, uh, as you know, we all start to get older as well, too, that uh, the bounce back from injuries just w- isn't quite what it used to be. No, that's true. And, you know, uh, just today, so I was working on, uh, um, I work on one of my two courses that I'm taking every day. Today I was working on the functional anatomy, and it's just talking about how we lose, we lose so many, like, collagen, hyaluronic acid, Though the production of those decrease as we get older. So your skin, I mean, we see it in our skin, but the same thing is happening inside your body, right? Mm-hmm. The tissues get drier, thinner, um, more likely to tear, longer to heal, right? Less hydrated. So um, I think the, the, those are becoming much more apparent to me. <laughs> those things are happening to mm-hmm. me more apparently right now. Yes, that's so. uh, also similar to what uh, Karen and I were talking about in a, in a previous episode as well, too, with <clears throat> collagen and um, uh, cortisol. Yes. As well. Yeah. yeah. So. And I, I kind of want to draw attention to that specifically. You hear a lot of the instructors here talk about how we're noticing our injuries, we're working through an injury, et cetera, and it may seem like we're a little more broken than people outside of the yoga world. <laughs> but do you think that's the case? Yes and no. I think no because I think the reason that we notice little things, I think sometimes, is because we have a lot more body awareness than someone that doesn't have a movement practice of any kind. So in that sense, no. But the flip side of that is that sometimes yes, especially for, you know, maybe the the more active people, right? Like, you know, the pyro people, blast people. Yeah, sometimes it's just a matter of not enough rest. Yeah, rest is critical. Yeah, and I think that's where I've kind of been going wrong the last year or so. There was a little too much time on my hands. I think I've worked out every day for 15 months. So, yeah, I think my body's just telling me that's enough. Thanks. Okay. Uh, we're going to get into a big one. Oh, okay. Um, These how- were all little ones? Yes. Yeah, 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 we're building up. We're, all, we're, all, we're going each rung on the ladder like you all right. described it. All right. So how has COVID affected your training? Oh, interesting. Well, I partly, partly answered it right there. Too much time on my hands. Um, it's interesting in several ways. The first thing that COVID has made me realize is that I'm very much an introvert. I wasn't I always. I would never have guessed. <laughs> um, I've always been very extroverted um, in my life. In the last few years, I kind of noticed a little less, you know, a little less so. But I'm, I've, di- I've discovered that I'm actually quite happy to just be at home <laughs> and not go out. I know a lot of people have found it challenging to practice or teach from home. I mean, we've had a couple of teachers that it just it just wasn't working for them and have taken a break from teaching for now. I love it. Love it. Love teaching online. I think it's great. You're the first person I've ever heard say that. I know. I know. I love it. Um, I love teaching online. I love practicing online. I would not have been able to say that prior to COVID. I was really terrible at working out at home. I had to be mm-hmm. in a public yeah. studio okay. in order to not be distracted by the, the dust on the floor and the cats and whatever else, you know. Yeah, I think that's uh, something that came to a lot of people's realizations is mm-hmm. that training from home, so many distractions. <laughs> yes. 
And so prior to COVID, I actually was not able to work out from home effectively and really needed that connection in person. Post-COVID, I'm really finding I'm I'm quite happy to practice from home and I can do it really well. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's been interesting. It's been quite a a self-discovery. Okay. This is one of my questions, and I ask it to every uh, uh, teacher that has come on and will be coming on. Feet together or feet apart? Ah, Okay, that's a very specific question. Yes, it is. Um, Now, I think you know the answer to that because I actually talk about it every vinyasa class. I'm a feet hip distance apart. It's not traditional. It's not. So my my heritage, as I said, beginning was Bikram, which is everything is feet together. And Ashtanga, which is like kind of the traditional practice that vinyasa is built on, is also feet together. But I have found I have um, SI issues, um, hip issues, and for me, I get a little bit more freedom and release from having my feet hip distance apart, and that's why I always offer that. Yeah, in my and for classes. everybody listening, I am nodding to everything that Kim is saying, <laughs> and I have the giant biggest smile on my face right now that I'm finally getting validated. And I am slightly shaking my head because I like it with my feet together most yes. of the time. So, Kim, would you say to stu- what would you say to students? Do you say do you think they should start with feet up? Heart, start with feet together. What would you say to yourself? Interesting. Um, so when I when I teach, um, I always so when we're in mountain pose or before the first vinyasa, I will always give. I always describe how traditionally this type of yoga is practiced: feet together. And if that feels comfortable, great. If it doesn't, if you have any hip issues, uh, SI joint issues in particular, low back issues, that I that you may want to try practicing uh, hip distance apart. And so I always give people the option. And just for fun, because I know you're a fellow anatomy nerd, can you yes. talk a little bit about what the SI joint is? <laughs> <laughs> so Where the, it is? <laughs> so the SI joint is like if you're feeling at your low back and you, those two little, um, there's like two little bones that stick out, right? Kind of where those little dimples are at your mm-hmm. low back. Yeah, and for everybody listening, we're all we're all doing this right <laughs> yeah, now, as you us. should be at home listening to this too. <laughs> so if you bring your hands to your hips with the fingers forward and your thumbs behind, kind of where the thumbs land will be right on those two little bones. So the SI joint is a joint, but it's not a very mobile joint. It's very sticky. It has very limited mobility. And for a lot of people, it's not a, it's not a happy joint. <laughs> for a lot of people. And mine is not happy. So um, for me, I've just found that the, the hip distance apart just gives the SI joints a little bit more space. But, I mean, if you don't have SI joint issues or hip issues, there's absolutely nothing wrong with practicing feet together. Yeah, that, that's, tr- that's the traditional way to do it. And a little selfish question, because teachers pick our, each other's brains all the time. I feel like, and Kim's told this to me before, I think my SI joints are just different. They're a little both weird. So, yeah, it, yeah I'm, I'm crooked. That's okay. We love a- As many person. people are, though. Yeah. And, and so I feel my body feet together gives me an opportunity to address the crookedness. That's mm. what I feel. Do you agree with me or do you think? It, you know what? Um, I, I wouldn't agree or disagree. I think everybody has to listen to what their own body is saying. And I talk about that a lot in yin when I teach yin because I have the time. <laughs> you guys, you're a captive audience when you're in your hold for three or four minutes or five minutes. Yeah, we got nowhere to go. As no- a yin teacher, I love it. <laughs> yeah, you've got nowhere else to be. Listen to my words. <laughs> So I do talk about these things a lot in the yin practice in particular. I do try to mention it in my other practices, but especially in the yin practice because there's time. But each of us is different. Nobody has the same body as you. We are all, um, Bernie Clark likes to talk about unique biology and biography. 
And so everybody has a different experience. Our bodies are built differently. We have different activities, different repetitive motions. You know, some people have really tight muscles. Some people have really, you know, um, have a lot more mobility. There's just so many variations from person to person. And that's why I spend so much time giving um, variations or modifications, especially in yin, but also in my other practices, because what feels good in my body might not feel good in yours and might not feel good in yours. And so that's really, that's a really important thing for me. And it's something that's really been my focus in the last few years, especially I've learned more about my body, about bodies in particular, as I've studied anatomy more, as I've gotten into the fascia. It's just, it's so important that people just listen to their own bodies, right? I'm here to guide, but you are your own teacher. Mm-hmm. And I've discussed this with uh, Candice and uh, with Karen as well, too, but I don't think uh, that Kim knows this. Um, one of the main reasons why I don't like feet together is I have a irrational fear and phobia of my bare ankle bones touching. <laughs> it, <laughs> that, that reaction is exactly why I wanted to talk about that. She is laughing her head off right now. <sighs> I've had it since I was a child, and just the thought of my bare ankle bones touching makes me cringe aside from you know and anatomical differences between bodies as well too but that is the main reason why interesting (laughs) well um all right then yeah that's a monkey wrench you didn't expect that to be thrown at you but (laughs) i yeah i'm not quite sure how what well then hip distance apart yeah hip distance apart it is moving on <laughs> Do you mind when students advance or modify the postures on their own? No, not at all. Um, not at all. And it's interesting. I have had teachers in my past, like teachers' classes that I've been in and stuff, where teachers, you know, get a little bit um, aggro if you don't kind of do exactly as they're saying. And to me, this just go- goes back to what we were just talking about: is that every one of us is different, and as long as the student is not doing something that I think could be harmful to them, I'm just happy for them to just be doing something, right? You're in your movement practice, you're in your body, you know, for whatever reason you feel like you need to do something else, great. Like just, as long as it's not bothering anybody else and it's not disruptive, totally cool with that for sure. So kind of spinning off that a little, you you don't judge people for taking modifications and applications. No. Is there something you do judge students for? <laughs> <laughs> I had to answer it. So. Oh. Yeah. yeah, the actual question is, is my teacher judging me? Yeah. <laughs> I hope not. Um, no, I'm not. Um, like if you're talking in the sense of, am I looking at people and thinking, oh, you know, why are they doing that? Or why can't they do that? Or anything like, no, I'm not. I'm not judging. I mean, I'm judging if you show up to class late. Um, I'm judging if you use your cell phone during class. Oh, as I think everybody should be judging that person. (laughs) Right? Um, You know, I I might be judging if you're disruptive for some reason. Um, But other than that, no, not at all. No, I mean, you know, it's... um, I'll actually kind of relate this to um, sometimes teachers get feedback or get, you know, comments from students and, you know, students are really aggro about something and they direct it towards you. But, you know, like I've learned a long time ago, it's not actually about me, right? Those, it's not, it's never about me. It's about something that's going on in their own lives right now. And so when, if someone is doing something different or is kind of, you know, in their own little world or whatever, I, I never take any of those things personally. Because I know that there must be something going on with that person. 
outside the room. That is, that, that, that's just where their headspace is at. And so I don't judge. And as long as it's not disruptive, right, it's all good. Okay. What do you find most challenging about teaching? Oh, hmm. interesting. Honestly, not, it's going to sound, I don't know if this sounds conceited to say, but I don't really find a lot challenging about teaching per se. If it was, I'd, I wouldn't do it. I teach because I love it. I teach it because it, it feels natural to me. It doesn't particularly feel challenging. I, can't, I don't really have a good answer for that. It's, it seems very natural. Yeah. I, I mean, Taking I've been... your classes for as many years as I have been yeah. now, um, you are very, very natural in, in, in doing what you're I've, doing I've always and very had, comfortable. Yeah, thank you. Um, I, I've always, well, not always, but for many years, I've been a teacher of some kind or another. Prior to this, when I was in finance for a while, I worked in learning and development. I used to do trade shows and things like that. Um, I've always been very comfortable with public speaking, so this is just a different, a different form of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and what I find uh, have, have found as well too that if if teachers do find it challenging, they're kind of missing the point as well too. Like uh, like they're uh, they're almost failing in a way of um, imparting their knowledge and wisdom and guidance onto, yeah. onto their students as well too. So so you answered that uh, that question perfectly. Oh well, thank you. <laughs> I think sometimes where you know sometimes a, a teacher might find teaching challenging is when they don't teach a lot, and that's more from it's more of a lack of confidence and a lack of, um, you have to kind of get into a flow with teaching. If you're only teaching, like, you know, once a month or something, it's really hard to kind of get into that groove. And I think in that kind of space, it can be a little bit more challenging. But, yeah, like, I mean, challenge, it shouldn't be challenging on a day-to-day basis. If it is, maybe you need a break would be kind of my thought, right? Um, any yoga myths that you would like to dispel? <laughs> Oh, well, my favorite one is the classic, oh, I, I can't do yoga because I'm too, <laughs> I'm not I, flexible enough. Because I'm not in shape yet. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> I can't work out because I'm not in shape or I can't do yoga because I'm not flexible. <laughs> it's like, that's why you come. Yeah, that's, you know, and I think many, many yoga instructors or fitness instructors would answer, answer it that way. There's this kind of myth that you need to already be good at yoga in order to do yoga. And that's obviously not the case at all. Yeah, and and just in case anyone's listening to this that is like I was prior to I started pra- when I started practicing, no one is judging you when you walk into the room. No. If you're not flexible, if you can't touch your toes, if you can't bend your knees, the only thing people in the room are thinking about you, including your fellow students, is this is awesome that they're trying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally. And I think that's one of the challenges with new students is they often feel really self-conscious, like, oh my God, everybody's looking at me. And I make a point um, in my classes, I have a lot of time to talk about Indian. So again, I always try to make a point of like, you know, don't worry, nobody's looking at you. <laughs> everybody's, everybody's got their own stuff to worry about. So, you know, just be where you are, meet yourself where you're at, and that's all you can do, right? That's all you can do. And nobody's judging. Yeah. And because I know that you love you love consuming material like this. Mm. Any favorite yoga reading? Any books you'd recommend for? Um, uh, doesn't necessarily have to be reading. If there's any, um, let's just say, like uh, YouTube videos or any any channels, any um, podcasts, if you listen to them. I know I'm really bad with podcasts. <laughs> well, you're on one right now. I know, I know. Which I laughed. I laughed about this. I'm like, I'm on a podcast, and I don't. I I. I'm not very good at just sitting still, right? You guys know me. So, um, 
Yeah. Anyway, no, I, I tend to do, um, I say I can't sit still. I love to read. Um, one of my favorites has been the last few years at Bernie Clark's two books, your, your body, your yoga, your body, your, your spine, your yoga, your body, your yoga, your spine, something. Yeah. I can't remember what they're called. Um, but he's got two books that they're, they can be a little bit dense for like a lay person. There's a lot of information in these books, but I found them just so, so fascinating and so informative. Like there's so many times in those two books where I've just been like, oh, that's amazing. And I couldn't wait to come to class and talk about it. Yeah, I've had the exact same experience right? with his books. Yeah. And, and often, even just reading one sentence in there will spark yeah. an entire class for me. Like, I'll build a class. Totally. On yeah. And he's actually got a website which is filled, my goodness, filled with info. It's like a, it's like a big, you're just going to fall down the rabbit hole and never come out. <laughs> yeah, so. the name Bernie Clark has come up on a few, uh, almost every episode I think we've done so far. Yeah, he. I mean, he's the godfather of yin in this area anyway, and... Um, yeah, I mean, he's he's the go-to person for anything yin-related. So I found his books really fascinating. That would be, it's a recommendation, but I, I, not for like a beginner. Like if you were just coming into yoga, that would be a lot. But if you're interested in kind of deepening your practice, knowing more about your body, those have been great books for sure. Okay. Any memorable good or bad students? <laughs> Other than myself um, in, the, in, the, in the good category. And, and me in the bad category. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I can't, I honestly, I, I hate to characterize. A you don't have to say names. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not just, asking for a description of this person. I'm just asking, has there been a good or bad student that really pops into your mind? No, um, I, I can't, I, I would hate to characterize any student as bad anyway. Like I, like I talked about earlier, oh, I think. Oh, no, no bad students, only bad teachers, right? <laughs> No, I think, you know, where someone, you know, where you would maybe use the term bad, so-called bad, would be a challenging student. But like I just talked about, I think a challenging student is someone that probably just has a lot of stuff going on that we don't know about. And so I, I would hate to characterize them in that way. So, I, but I, I honestly can't really think about, I, I can't think of a challenging student over the years. Um, I've had so many great students especially here at this studio, this has been my first experience teaching at like a neighborhood studio. Do you know what I mean? Like I taught at franchises before where, you know, there's seven, eight, 10 studios, whatever in the franchise. And you don't get to know all of the students that well. You might know some, a few. Okay. And you would float between the different locations? Yeah. I mean, I had some, I had some regular classes and I would have like a few regular students, but those types of studios you're churning out, there's a lot more people, right? And you're not seeing all the same people at all the same classes. So, um, this has been my first time at this studio where like, I know all the students pretty much like by name. And so it's just been so amazing that there's so much camaraderie here. And I, you know, I think of like someone like Ken, um, you know, right. So we'd be right here in the corner <laughs> shouting out throughout every pyro class, you know, just keeping us motivated and joking and laughing. And, you know, there's just so many people like that, right. At this studio, it's just been so great. So, and I, yeah. I want to clarify a little bit that that's not just a coincidence. That is an expectation that comes oh, from yeah. Candace. And, um, when uh, I started at the studio, just working at our front desk, doing those tasks, her expectation of us as employees is that we know 80% of people when they walk through the door by name. Yeah. And she leads by example. People come back after two, three years, and it's, hey, so-and-so. <laughs> 
and so how's your dog named this? And and <laughs> yeah. and it's it's such a joy uh, to know everybody. And, and like Kim said, we know everyone by name, yeah. and it makes for a safer environment. We know each other's injuries. We know each other's limitations, and yeah. our, we celebrate our triumphs together. And it, it's it's beautiful. Oh yeah, it's yeah. wonderful. And it was interesting tonight. We had a new student, <laughs> and I warned her. I said. You know, just so you know, <laughs> we're a family at this studio, and we talk to each other, and we like to joke and have fun, so expect that. Okay. Uh, what do you do besides yoga? Oh, well, uh, everybody that knows me knows. I do either um, Pyro Pilates or Blast, which we're you know, in the room right now is called Sculpt um, for low intensity, but I like to do some kind of active movement every day. Um. In the summertime, I also will like to get outside and stuff like that, do a little bit of hiking, walking, biking, things like that. But um, I just love my high-intensity interval training. And I do it probably six days a week, seven days a week sometimes, which is too much, but I just I love it. But I always try to balance that with my practice, right? So I also do a practice every day. But that's why my practice has started now to drift towards a more relaxed type of yoga because I'm already doing the high intensity. I don't need to also add a, a 90 minute vinyasa on top of that. Yeah, correct. Um, before the class that Kim was teaching today, we briefly <laughs> talked about uh, balance in our training, mm. right? And um, we talked about that, Karen and I, on our previous episode in uh, cross training. And pretty much all the classes that I've done here, aside from a three month a stint which turned into four with uh, pyro pilates <laughs> i'm really looking for the um the balance to what i do outside of here yeah. to be more chill yeah so. and and it's great that you understand that about yourself because some people don't <laughs> we have some students that come here and only do the pyro pilates and the blast i mean which is fine but the ideally our body is at its best when it has different types of movement so full body movements, yeah, slow 100%, movements, back yeah. movements, bouncy movements, you know, all types of movements, ideally full bodied, not the same type of movements all the time. And you're not just talking mentally and emotionally for that. No, no. Like, no. This is an anatomical. Oh, level. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Can you get a little more specific about that, about why it's so good? Um, I know that's a big concept to summarize uh, yeah, that, It would be a really long answer, but... This is an episode all its own. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, what's the preview for that episode? So you just, just think of it as like cross-training, right? Like, if you only do the same thing all the time, you will end up with repetitive motion injuries. And you'll see that not just at a muscular level, but also really importantly at the, at the connective tissue level. So the fascia will start to remodel itself because it's going to work around whatever movements that you are doing. If you always move in the same way, or if you don't move at all, right? Same thing, that no movement is just as bad, if not worse than just repetitive motions all the time. Forgetting, you know, scar tissue and buildup of connective tissue and the cross links, that's where like, so the connective tissue should look kind of like crimped hair, but it'll go like in all crazy directions sometimes, right? From trauma, injuries, but also from repetitive motions, things like that. So like there's a lot of reasons why, but your body will work best on a muscular level, the connective tissue, et cetera, if you are not doing the same thing all the time, right? And especially if the one thing is like high intensity interval training, for instance, right? That's really hard on the body. You want to make sure that you're balancing that. Yeah, it needs a lot of recovery it as needs well, recovery. too, which people just often overlook. It needs recovery. And so the recovery can be, you know, a yin practice. It can be, you know, a meditation. It can be, 
you know, yeah, whatever yeah. it is. Rest days, proper nutrition, sleep, Absolutely. hydration. Absolutely. Like 10 minutes of myofascial release before bed. Yeah, and you think about it from the perspective of how, like, back in the old days especially, less so now, but how kids were always encouraged to play different sports, right? Like, now, like, they're already early on, like, at 8, 9, 10, trying to get kids to, like, specialize in one sport. And that's, it's a terrible idea. In the, in the old days, like when I was a kid, I talk about that in the old days, but like when I was a kid, like you did not do the same sport all year round. You did different sports in order to get different types of movement in the body, cross training. There's an example of you practice what you preach. I don't know if you want to speak about that on the podcast, but your daughter, I know plays a lot of sports. Yeah. Different things. Yeah. And we, and we would not let her play the same thing all year round. Um, so she has, you know, moved between, swimming and soccer and taekwondo ball hockey is the thing right now but that'll end in the summer and then it'll be something else um yeah so we make sure she's not she's not allowed to do the same thing year round there has to be some some different movements and motions happening for sure okay uh we'll get back into some of the uh teaching questions here uh do you prefer set sequences or creative sequences Oh, <laughs> uh, no, I, I mean, I have an answer to that, but it's just, it's a conversation that Candace and I have had a few times, actually, just kind of in talking about our vinyasa styles. So I come from a set sequence practice, obviously, the Bikram practice, as does Candace. But as my practice has moved along over the years, I have very much moved into a preference for, um, surprise me, <laughs> <laughs> I feel less enthusiastic in my own personal practice for set sequences I like that element of what are we doing today and so while I know and am trained in several set sequences and I enjoy teaching them for my own personal practice I I am less interested in the set sequences I I really really prefer and you can see that in how I teach vinyasa for instance I don't have a set sequence. I'm not Ashtanga based. Yeah. I think um, the closest to your set sequences is probably moon, moon salutation. Yeah, yeah. Like that's the closest I would get to like a set sequence. But even then, what I put around the moon salutation will change each time. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I find a lot of value in that, in, mm-hmm. in, in having that, uh, that variety. So. Yeah. Have you ever experienced or witnessed any major injuries in class? <laughs> I've experienced. Um, no, I haven't. S- I don't think I've seen any. I've never had to use my, my CPR training, thank goodness. Mm-hmm. Um, no. Um, no, somebody threw up in class once. That was pretty gross. Um, I'm guessing a super hot, <laughs> intense yeah, Bikram yeah, yeah, class. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, no, but I have experienced, actually. I um, oh, Way back in the day, there was, I don't know if anybody still practices it or not, but there, uh, there, there was an advanced Bikram sequence and Y-Yoga started playing with an advanced version of their their hot practice which is is basically the bikram plus anusara which is that's what their hot practice is and so i decided to take this advanced hot yoga training and we were doing bound revolved triangle pose can right? you just give a give a mental image for the listeners okay so a mental image would <laughs> that be that just sounds difficult anyway right so. so my left leg was forward my right leg back right so split legs then, so a revolved triangle pose is where the torso is, so my torso is down, twisting towards my front leg, right? So I'm twisted towards my front leg. And then usually you just have the right hand down, left arm up, but in the bound position, you're actually, like you're wrapping the arms around. <laughs> it's a lot. And I tore my hamstring. I heard it pop. Ooh. 
Yeah. Good times. <laughs> As did everybody else, I think, yep, too, because yep. it can be very, very loud. Yep. <laughs> um, it was not a complete tear, fortunately, but I did end up going to the hospital, and I was on crutches for several weeks. Um, yeah, I did not ever practice. The <laughs> I have never done that post since. And I did not, I mean, I think that studio, they, they ended up moving away from that kind of advanced practice anyway, but I just, yeah, I lost interest afterwards. <laughs> it was a bit much. How's your hamstring doing now? How many years later? <laughs> oh, this was, this was, um, 10 years ago. It's fine. Yeah. No, no problems there. Fortunately. Okay. Well, that's good. I'm glad that you've uh, recovered and haven't yeah. experienced any, uh, any fallback. I that. still remember the sound of it though. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you never, yeah, forget. once you experience that, I don't think that ever yep. goes out of your mind. Yeah. So, um, what advice would you give to a student who says they can't find the right style, class, or teacher? Oh, interesting. Well, they need to keep looking because there's there's a style and a teacher for everyone. Teachers are. It's interesting because um, we kind of have this idea that every student should just love every teacher or should just you know that's not going to happen, right? Like it's like. It's like anything else. Yeah, there's different strokes for different folks. Yeah, totally. Right? And that's and, why I don't take it personally if someone and, comes and to my there class. And there are square and like, pegs trying to fit into round holes. Totally. A lot of times. Right? right? And and again, this is why I never take anything personally. Like if someone came to my class, like, mm, yeah, that was all right. Or no, not my style. Okay. And that's not anything to do with me. It's just that's not what they need right now. And on the flip side, it can be a benefit. So when we have new students come in that are saying, you know, which class should I take? Uh, we will sometimes specifically recommend come in at 4 p.m. and take Kim's yes. class because we know what those teachers are going to bring to the table yeah. and that it's going to resonate with some people and not others. Yeah. Yeah. So I think if someone has said, you know, I can't find a class or a teacher that suits me, they just need to keep trying. Like, I mean, if I had time for a longer conversation with them, I would see kind of like, what are their other, like, what else are they doing? And then why are they looking to practice yoga in the first place, right? Like it may just be that they're not, they're not looking at the right styles, right? Like maybe they're, they need something more relaxed and restorative and they're, you know, they went to like a 90 minute Bikram. <laughs> well, that, that might not be what you were looking for. Or, you know, maybe you did, you know, a vinyasa class and that's too much movement, right? Or maybe you came to yin and like that was way too chill. You, you need the opposite. Maybe you need to have a little bit more movement. So I think sometimes it's just a matter of they just haven't found the right thing yet, but there's something for everybody for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, do you have any pet peeves about yoga etiquette? <laughs> <laughs> we already, we touched on this. Cell phones, no cell phones in the room. That's, that's a big one for me. Arriving late to class. I just, to me, that's just, please respect people's time. And then also a pet peeve for me on the flip side too, is just, you know, and <laughs> we're all guilty of that in this studio, but Teachers going over time, I think that the flip side of that is I think we also need to be mindful of people's time, right? And we don't know where they need to be. We don't know what's waiting for them, who's waiting for them, what's going on. So I, I've always made it a point to try to be pretty punctual with my classes. I try as hard as I can. It's hard with fusion. <laughs> Sorry, Kim. <laughs> I don't think I've ended a class on time in my life. <laughs> From my perspective, I just think that while... Like in the in our teacher's mind, I think when we go late, it's because we just we just had something so juicy planned, and we just really want the student to have that because it's so good. But from my perspective, we don't know what it is that they need to get to, and I I just from my perspective, I just try to keep things on time because I think that's something that like we don't know what's happening with them. If they've got the time, they'll stay. If they don't, 
they can run off. And I want to interject a little bit. If um, if you do come and you know that you need to leave yeah. right at the end of class, talk to the teacher, talk to the front desk person, and we will keep the teacher honest for you um, <laughs> and, and try and keep them on that because we do respect that you have somewhere to go. Totally. Um, it is a little bit easier sitting at the front desk to respect it than as a teacher because of what Kim said. But, oh, yeah. totally. And like, you know, we've had that, that conversation with students often. Like, you know, people just be like, hey, I have to be right on time today. And you just let them know, hey, look, hey, I'm sorry, I'm going over a couple minutes, but just so you know, feel free to go if you need to go. And I've done that with Fusion, right? The Fusion class, it's, it's um, as a set sequence, it's, it's, sometimes it's a little hard to squeeze into the 60 minutes. Like if you have a new student and you have to do a little bit more kind of uh, explaining or demoing. Um, so I just say, say to the students, hey, guys, you know, I'm really sorry. We're, we're going to go over for a few minutes if you need to leave please do no problem. And hardly anybody ever does. <laughs> right. So, but it just, you know, you just got to give them the option. Yeah. Yeah. Most people in the studio are pretty much engaged right till the end oh, yeah. of the class. Anyway, yeah. So it's interesting. And that's different from a lot of other studios that I've been at or practiced at or taught at. It's just sometimes people are just like, you know, especially if there's a clock in the room, my goodness, you can tell five, 10 minutes to go. <laughs> They're all, they're yeah, like yeah. I'm like they're already half out the door. They're packing up their stuff. Yeah, I it's can like, see that uh, d- uh, definitely happening in like a downtown studio. Oh yeah, or something yeah. like that where it's where, where it's busy, busy, busy. Yeah. What is your preferred yoga style? Oh, <laughs> oh it always changes. It, it ebbs and flows. For a long time, I would have said the twenty six plus two. For a long time, I would have said active vinyasas, powerful vinyasas. Right now, I'm super into the chill vinyasa, like the yin-yang. Yeah, thank you for oh, that. Oh, that's my thing. <laughs> that's, my, that's my jam right now. Um, the spa yoga training, um, was I just love that right now. And I think that it's because it's what I need in my own body. So it, it tends to ebb and flow a little bit. Right now, it's like the chill practice for sure. I just want to clarify a little bit uh, for those who aren't Bikram practitioners. 26 and 2 is just, just Bikram, the 90-minute yep. Bikram class. Yep. <clears throat> Traditional Bikram 26 plus 2. Straight up. <laughs> Straight up. Um, that's pretty much all the questions on our questionnaire. Um, I will float this question out to you. Um, I, I know you mentioned that it, it's not probably your favorite question, but I am going to ask it to you. <laughs> I know. Um, um, it is, who would be on your Mount Rushmore of yoga practitioners <clears throat> or teachers and why? Oh, Stephen. <laughs> it's a troublemaker. Um, <laughs> it's what I do. It is what he does. Um, so I, I don't have a Mount Rushmore, and this is on purpose. I actually liked your answer to this, so that's why I asked it, and I just wanted you to explain this. Yeah, so, so what I have found, is, so in my you know, 20 years of practicing and teaching yoga, is that a lot of the, a lot of the problems in yoga come from people having Mount Rushmore's of yoga. Um, I think that a lot of teachers, especially male teachers, have been put on a pedestal and treated like they are really special individuals, irreplaceable individuals. I can see where you're going with this. Yeah. And it turns out that that we know of, five or six of them have been sexually abusing students. And so from my perspective, I think it can be very... it can be really wonderful to have a teacher that helps guide you, that you know, that you, that you feel that you can trust, that has your best interests at heart. Absolutely, I believe that. But I think there has been in yoga, in some lineages, such an emphasis on the leader of that lineage. And many of those leaders have turned out to be extremely problematic. 
And so I think I have tried to stay away from that. And I've kind of always been that way. Um, I have teachers that I admire and things about those teachers that I have tried to emulate. But I also have never believed that any particular yoga teacher or leader is is the end-all be-all of anything. And so my answer to the Mount Rushmore question would be I, I don't I don't have one. I have many teachers that I have learned from and drawn from and whose classes I enjoy, but they're people. They're just people. Yeah, your Mount Rushmore would just remain a uncarved mountain. Yeah, absolutely. But I, I do want to say that um, a common theme we've heard from students, we have students come into the room that can barely walk when they walk into the room mm-hmm. in the first time, and they literally have had their lives saved by a specific teacher, a specific lineage. And, and it's hard for them to not put that person on a pedestal yeah. because in their mind they've saved their lives. So what would you say to that? Well, what I would say is that, you know, and, and this goes back to what I just talked about, about how some of these, the leaders of some of these lineages have been, have, that we've learned have been very problematic. That doesn't mean that what they taught or what they developed is problematic, right? You can separate the art from the artist, right? And you can still appreciate and learn from and benefit from these practices without deifying the leader of that lineage. Yeah, that's a great answer. And uh, uh, that happens in the, in the martial arts community as well, too. Um, that, uh, that question I, I got from a martial arts podcast as well, yeah. too. And um, it th- through the people's answers, it gives you a, a very a very good insight in, into, into their own yeah. headspace and, and, and how they value the teachings and, and guidance that they've gotten as well, too. But I, I, I highly value and appreciate your answer there. Oh, thank so you. That was excellent. I mean, absolute power absolutely corrupts, right? So um, I think when we give people that kind of power, it can often be abused. And we've seen that not, not just in yoga, obviously, in so many other industries, right? You look at you know, the movie industry, for example, I mean, there's been a whole reckoning there and that's, that's happened in yoga too. And it's not just, it's not just yoga. It's not, it's, it's everywhere, right? Power can be a terrible thing. So I think what you're saying is it's okay for you to temporarily put someone on a pedestal, but understand that they didn't pull us out of thin air. There's more to it. And, and maybe go searching for that. Maybe go searching for more. Yeah. I mean, I would say not even put them on a pedestal. Just understand that you can learn from people without making them more than a regular person. Like they're not more or better than you. They just have different knowledge that you can learn from and benefit from, but they're still just a human, just like anybody else. And you have knowledge that they should benefit from as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's going to draw us to the uh, conclusion of our interview tonight. Uh, I want to thank Kim for uh, joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure having you. Yeah, thanks, Kim. We'll, we'll be having you back on for some more specific conversations. All right. Yes, I look forward to that very much. Thanks for uh, having me, guys. So th- thanks, everybody, for uh, listening. And if there's any questions, comments, criticisms, um, how do they get in touch with the studio, Karen? Uh, you can give us a phone call or email us at info at yoga360.ca, and we look forward to hearing from you. Okay, thanks, everyone. Have a good night. We are incredibly grateful to have you join us to the end of this episode. If you want to share your experience and deepen your connection with our community, we would love to have you join us as a guest. Be kind to yourself. Be kind to others. See you on the map.